Good evening, good evening, good evening, everybody. My name is Catherine Baldwin, and today we're doing another edition of Catholic Reflections. Sorry that it's been a few days that I've been doing in between episodes. Just been really tired lately and just, you know, all that other stuff. So let's go ahead and get into our Mass readings today. Today we are doing Saturday of the second week of Advent. In these days... Like a fire, there appeared the prophet Elijah, whose words were as flaming furnace. Their staff of bread he he shattered. In his zeal he reduced them to straits. By the Lord's word he shut up the heavens, and three times brought down fire. How awesome are you, Elijah, in your wondrous deeds, whose glory is equal to yours. You were taken aloft in a whirlwind of fire, in a chariot with fiery horses. You were destined... It is written, in time to come, to put an end to rest before the day of the Lord, to turn back the hearts of, of fathers toward their sons, and to reestablish the tribes of Jacob. Blessed is he who shall have seen you, and who falls asleep in your friendship. Your responsorial psalm today. The Lord, make us turn to you. Let us see your face, and we shall be saved. O shepherd of Israel, hearken. From your throne upon the cherubim, shine forth. Rouse your power. Lord, make us turn to you. Let us see your face, and we shall be saved. Once again, O Lord of hosts, look down from heaven and see. Take care of this vine, and protect what your right hand has planted. The Son of Man, who you yourself make strong. Lord, make us turn to you. Let us see your face, and we shall be saved. May your help be with the man of your right hand with the Son of Man whom you yourself made strong. Then we will no more withdraw from you. Give us new life, and we will call upon your name. Lord, make us turn to you. Let us see your face, and we shall be saved. Alleluia, alleluia. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. Alleluia, alleluia. Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. As they were coming down the mountain, the disciples asked Jesus, Why do the scribes say Elijah Elijah must come first? He said in reply, Elijah will indeed come first and restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also will the Son of Man suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So, I don't really have a topic to go off of these readings today because, I mean, they're, they're, again, we were in this season of of Advent, of, of waiting, of expectation, and I've talked about that before. But, and I've talked about the, the response that we are to have in that in that waiting. But now I want to talk about how we overconfidence ourselves when it comes to the expectation of God in our lives and waiting for him. And when I talk about overconfidence, what I mean by that is simply the idea that we may put a little bit too much emphasis on ourselves when we when we talk about waiting and expectation for God. Like, for example, oh, I've done so many great things. God will bless me when he comes again. Like, you're boasting about something that you've done. 
And unfortunately, pride can get the best of us, and that's what this is about. Pride can be a poison to the waiting of God or waiting for God. And it's time that we realize that too much pride is unhealthy. We see it all the time in the Gospels. We see it all the time where Christ lifts up the lowly, the humble. And what does he do with the prideful? The prideful, he knocks down a few steps, puts them in their rightful place. Is that what he needs to do with us? Do we need to be knocked down in our pride? Do we consider ourselves better than other people? We all know that pride has gotten the best of a lot of biblical characters. And, and, and let's, let's just see what does the Catholic Church teach concerning pride. Let's just, let's just talk about that. So let's talk about the idea of pride. Whenever we pit ourselves against church teaching and act as our own magisterium, we reveal that we are in the grip of deadly pride. Pride hits us in our strengths, leading us to take full credit for our achievements without gratitude to God or others. So let me read this this whole thing to you. It's called, it's um, it's about the the, sin, the deadly sin of pride. I will not serve. Satan proudly declares in Milton's Paradise Lost, "It is better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven." Milton's Satan might appear to be a hero, but Dante offers another picture of the wretchedness of hell's miserable ruler. In the Inferno, Satan is frozen from the waist down his ruined wings beating in place as he weeps tears of pus and blood, still spurring the the God he refuses to serve, yet still powerful to do great harm to others. Few of us oppose God openly as Satan did, but whenever we put ourselves against church teaching and act as our own magisterium, we reveal that we are in the grip of pride. I did it my way is the anthem of the proud. Pride hits us in our strengths, leading us to take full credit for our achievements without gratitude to God or others. Boasting seeks the adulation of others, while pride judges the weakness of others by criticizing them openly or interiorly. Vanity about one's intelligence or achievements, the superiority of one's social circumstances, or the higher moral ground one thinks he holds on social issues has contributed greatly to our inability to engage in civil discourse on many important questions. The lack of manners and respect rampant on TV shows, TV talk shows are only one example of pride at work. Closer to home, many common courtesies have been abandoned. Have we taught our children, for example, to greet people when they enter a room and say goodbye when they leave? Are we gracious in our conversations around the dinner table? Rudeness, sarcasm, ridicule, or belittling shows the narcissism and individualism that reigns in many hearts. The proud person feels he has the right to seize and secure his place in the world and that others owe him respect and reward. When these are not forthcoming, he might erupt with verbal or physical anger or seethe with envy and malice. 
The Catechism defines pride as an inordinate self-esteem or self-love which seeks attention and honor and sets oneself in competition with God. That's uh, paragraph 1866. Webster's Dictionary adds vanity, vainglory, conceit, arrogance, egotentism, boastfulness, self-glorification, and selfishness to the definition of pride. Does this mean that self-esteem is always wrong? There is confusion about the similarities and differences between genuine self-esteem and pride. Obsession with intensive self-care, as presented in many popular articles, or focus on feeling good about ourselves in spite of what we actually do, all develop the deadly vice of pride. Healthy self-esteem, on the other hand, might be better expressed by Aristotle's term magnanimity. Magnanimity is a lofty or courageous spirit, noble or generous of mind. That as St. Thomas says, confirms the mind and helps the person stand firm in seeking to achieve the greatest of goods. Magnanimity brings us up to our full stature in God, not in pride. A proper self-respect rests on knowing we are made in the image of God and that every soul has infinite value. God intended for us to be born, has a place for us in the world, and has given us true gifts to be used in loving and obedient service of others. Our self-worth rests unassailably on God himself. So it is not necessary to climb above others for our place in the world. It is given. We have only to accept this gift. But that requires humility, the antidote to pride. Many of us mistakenly think humility buries our gifts and talents, but humility is based on the truth, a true assessment of the abilities, gifts, and talents God has given. These gifts are not given to puff us up, but to be used in loving and obedient service. Humility empowers and energizes us to great works of magnanimity because, as St. Francis de Sales says in the introduction to The Devout Life, the proud man who trusts in himself has good reason not to attempt anything. The humble man is all the more courageous because he recognizes his, impo- his, his own impotence. The less he esteems himself, the more daring he becomes because he places his whole trust in God. St. Paul tells us, tells us to have Christ's attitude, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself, coming, da- coming in human likeness, and humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Because of this, God greatly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. If the Lord himself was humble, who are we to stand firm in pride and arrogance? If the Lord himself was obedient, who are we to set ourselves in defiance against God? Instead, as we move into the Holy Tritium and prepare to celebrate the the Paschal Mystery, let us take our towels and wash the feet of others, hoping to be raised up with him in the resurrection. So, this is a great article, and if you guys really want to look it up, just do a, a Google search and use the first and click on the first link that comes up because that's a perfect article because it's true. We live in a world we live in a world of constant self love and feel good about yourself all the time. You don't have anything wrong with you. You don't have any faults. It's all about you and what you do. But Advent reminds us that we need to be you we need to have humility in our lives. We need to have humility in our lives and to realize, as this article states, that we are from God. We're made in his image. Everything we do depends on him. And so for somebody to say that's prideful 
for somebody to say somebody who's prideful to say, "Oh, I don't need God. I can do it all on my own." They're denying the fact of where they come from. Now we can be like Satan. We can be like Satan, and we can, you know, decide, "Oh, I'm not going to serve God. I'm going to do it all on my own," and that's fine. That's free will. But you're being led into error. This individualistic society, this self-love society, this, oh, it's all about you, you're fine, you don't have any faults, nothing can hurt you, this society is fooling ourselves, and it's fooling our young people. I know I'm young, I'm 24, but I can tell you I've never seen so many young people who have pride. I didn't see a lot of it when I was growing up. But now that I'm older and I see this younger generation, my heart breaks for them because culture is constantly telling them there's nothing wrong with you. You don't have any faults. It's all about you. It's all this this high self-esteem. Like, there's no humility. It's like, okay, you do things wrong. You're going to mess up. Acknowledge it. There's none of that. And for those of you who are older that are listening, you probably understand what I'm talking about. And then there are people who are very, you know, older in years and they still think that way. That there's nothing wrong. They don't do anything wrong. Like the world is always against them. The world is this. The world is that. Curse the world. You know, that type of thing. Very sad, very sad. What doesn't make sense to me, and it's something I've been thinking about a lot, is how quick we are to not acknowledge our faults. How quick we are to say, I don't care about this. Like, it doesn't matter. But the thing is, guys, it does matter. It matters a whole lot. And when we decide that we're going to be prideful and we're not going to accept that God has free reign over our lives and he rules every part of our lives and he dictates what happens, then we're denying ourselves the truth of where we come from, of our origin. I talk about this in my Through the Catechism series. We're meant to go back to our origin. That's why the communion with with God is so important. And then talking about Christ as our role model, he is perfect sign uh, example of humility. Look at what he did. He came down, was born, came into as a human being, and then he died on a tree. If that's not humbling oneself, then I don't know what is. I do not know what is because guys if we don't look at Christ's life and see there's something to learn from that you don't have the right image of Christ in your head I'm going to tell you right now with Advent it's so beautiful 
to think about that idea. Because Christ comes as a tiny child. He's born in a manger. A feeding trough for animals. And guys, what's so beautiful about that is the fact that he chose to do it. He went on that cross because he willingly did it. Because in the garden he says, Not my will, Father, but your will be done. And so he took that cross. And that's humility. Humility shows great love. Great love shows humility. The two things are intertwined so perfectly. So perfectly and so beautifully. My friends, as we close this evening, let's overkeep in mind the fact that we are called to be like Christ. We are called to be followers of Christ, which means that we need to humble ourselves just like Christ did at Christmas. We need to humble ourselves just as he did. He came in the form of a little baby. He was in his mother's womb. was laid in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. How much more humble can you be? How much more humble can you be? Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, everything revolves around you. We have nothing if we do not have you. And we put our trust in you, knowing that all things will be done for your glory, not our own. In humbling ourselves, we realize how great you are and how we can never compare. We can never compare to you, Lord, because you are just so awesome. Let us ever be mindful of that this Advent and Christmas season, that you came down as a little child and showed what true humility means. Wanting nothing, lacking nothing, and yet being humble about it. As we pray, glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As always, three different ways to reach me. Uh, The Anchor app, if you have it, if you want to leave me a voice message, love to hear from you. Or my two emails. My first one is my Gmail, which is c.baldwin1516 at gmail.com. Again, that's my Gmail. That's c.baldwin1516 at gmail.com. Or my Yahoo, which is c.sobe, or that's c.sobey2394 at yahoo.com. Again, that's c.sobe2394 at yahoo.com. Or my Facebook page, Catholic Reflections, What the Mass Readings Mean for Us Today. It's been a while since I posted. I apologize. Once things might calm down a little bit, I can start posting again. Anyways, I think I need to go to bed. So, uh, good night, everyone. And I will see you guys soon. Good night and God bless you. Bye-bye.